WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Episode 57, we talk about the National League of Cities Conference last week in D.C., Immigration Committee work, and last night's Sony meeting. Welcome to R&D in the QC. Tark, I forgot to ask you what episode is it. 57! That was actually going to be my guess. Welcome to episode 57. We have been on a one-week hiatus because we were in D.C. last week for the National League of Cities Conference. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second, and we've got some interviews that you're not going to want to miss at the end of the show. Pretty funny. Pretty funny Segments stuff. two and three. But uh, it's been two weeks. This is coming out on a Tuesday. We should apologize in advance. We did not... Uh, record last night because it was about a 16 hour day and by the time we were done with zoning last night you guys the listeners were not going to get much of an episode we out of just us. one look at each other and i said would you be interested in recording this tomorrow and you said mm, okay yes so we hope that the one day wait was worth it so that you get a better episode because last night we were just going to be looking at the clock ready to leave and you weren't going to get i'm much still energy. pretty tired to be totally honest but we're going to bring it anyway so one uh, quick shout out before we talk NLC, National League of Cities Conference. Uh, I have to say thank you to the Charlotte Hounds. Thank you to Major League Lacrosse. Oh, boy. I got to go Here about go. 10 days ago now and check something else off the bucket list. Really? I haven't heard anything about this from you. Tell you, me you more. You did. I told you. You just don't listen well. No, no. I um, have heard it. And you won't stop talking about it. I got to stand on stage at the Major League Lacrosse Draft and announce the first-round pick of our hometown Charlotte Hounds, uh, a young man from the University of Virginia, whose name I think is Ryan. I have forgotten his name. Don't even know the kid's name. <laughs> I think it was Ryan. He's With f- the first pick of the 2019 oh, that's exactly what I did. Lacrosse Draft. Um, he was actually the fifth pick, but he was like their first a, round pick. I feel like there's a Chappelle show skit. It's, uh, <laughs> the uh, Wu Tang Clan, yeah. Rizza, Jizza, Ghostface Killer. <laughs> well, uh, dude, that's so exciting! Like Tiger Woods was not available have in this you draft. Called your parents and oh, I, yeah, I sent pictures. It was, um, you know, so I feel like I'm ready. It's been in the business journal that we've uh, there's been some talk around trying to pursue the NFL draft. And I think now I've got a, a resume that would allow me to possibly announce a Panthers pick. Well, I've been uh, positioning myself for uh, the, 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 the the FinTech draft. The annual crew rowing uh, <laughs> draft. Yeah, yes. I heard your mom got you on the crew team at yeah. Radford, and that's how you got in. I just tried to pick, like, what's whiter than lacrosse draft? And I said, oh, it's oh, crew. It's I thought you were making crew. a joke about the college admissions Well, I, you know, there's a parallel there i'm wondering that's why i is that how you got into radford on my mind now were, that I were you, it. Were you that uh, the crew team it was this you got uh, recruited but yeah. you were injured and then you yeah. it was yeah. this 800 yard man-made lake that we practiced on it was it was awesome yeah good times good times good times all right talk um to us. hard to hard to imagine aunt becky would cheat to get her kids in college oh man let's not go there <sighs> all right national league of cities so we were from sunday the 10th 
through Wednesday the 13th, we were up in D.C. with the mayor and several of our council colleagues had a National League of Cities conference for a couple of days. And then on Wednesday of last week, we were up on Capitol Hill meeting with Senator Burr, uh, Chief of Staff for Senator Tillis, and Representatives Hudson and Adams. And, and you, you met with some staff from Representative McHenry's office. Mm-hmm. Really good day of meetings on the Hill. Um, National League of Cities conferences are always interesting. It's an opportunity for us to engage with cities f- from Los Angeles size to uh, we met uh, a young lady who we talked to for a while at the youth delegates uh, social who was from a town of, I think she said like 5,000 people. Mm-hmm. So it's everything from the smallest towns in, in America to the, uh, the largest cities. And so it's interesting, share best practices. We get to go to sessions and learn about things that are of particular interest to us. I got to go to one on immigration. I know you went to some airport on noise, airport noise and technology and stuff. Important. Yeah. Um, but what was your takeaway, I think, of interest to our listeners more so yeah. than sessions we're at? What were your takeaways from our meetings on the Hill? Yeah, so the Hill, um, we actually took kind of a unique approach that we need to credit the mayor with for, uh, somewhat for, for helping us craft. Uh, obviously, immigration has been a, a big talking point and focus of ours. And we struggled with how to put it on or not put it on a legislative agenda. So we actually decided a creative way to do it. You and I kind of in the beginning of each meeting with each of uh, the either senators or representatives went through our, our defined formal federal legislative agenda. So you talked about affordable housing. I talked about infrastructure and transportation. That's where I really got to highlight 5g uh, and I 74 or 70, the 74 corridor. Um, then you talked about food, uh, food, uh, security, security and, and farmers housing. markets. And, uh, I quickly mentioned the, uh, $50 million or TBD federal grant for RNC security. So we went through all those items. Then our colleagues kind of chimed in in different orders, talking about some successes we've had over the last year, since we met with them last, as well as some opportunities and challenges that we're facing of which two particularly opportunity zones. Um, which we've talked a lot about and the capital and the risks, but also the, the awesome power of that. And then immigration. And I think that, um, I think that, you know, not putting it on the federal agenda specifically that says we need you to do X, Y, Z for us specifically that's in our wheelhouse, but still including it in the conversation allowed us to kind of talk and relay, Hey, we we're, we're experiencing some, some real challenges right now while this goes unresolved. And to a person, we got feedback, Republicans and Democrats, um, that um, they they hear us, they agree, and everyone was on board with comprehensive immigration reform. Everyone said it's got to be everything. Can't just pick and choose solutions to little kind of subparts. We have to do a major overhaul. Uh, so I think the, the only two things that are left to do are um, the timeline and, and do when it. that's going to happen. And two, what does comprehensive immigration mean? Well, that's what I was going to say. I I was encouraged on a couple of fronts as it regards immigration. And one thing, we'll talk a little bit about the work that the Immigration Committee, the Mayor Lyles recently created, is doing um, here in a moment. But we, you know, I talked to a lot of, at, at a lot of these meetings we've been having for that Immigration Committee, I've talked to a lot of those community leaders and they've asked about the, the fact that it's not on the legislative agenda. Uh, several of us supported it being on there. Not enough. It didn't get on there. I said, that does not preclude us from talking about it at a state or a federal level. It, you know, I think some people mistakenly looked at the federal agenda and, or the state agenda for that matter and said, well, if it's not on that list, they're not going to mention it. And that's not the case. Um, so, as you mentioned, we did bring that up in every office. 
I was not expecting to get necessarily the responses we got from everybody we got them from. And so, um, for one, Representative Richard Hudson, who represents Concord and then some areas east of Concord, he was uh, he demonstrated some real frustration that he said, I really thought we were getting to that point last year. I thought we were going to get that done in the last Congress, meaning comprehensive immigration reform. And he said, and a couple of people turned it into a political football and and kind of killed it. So he was frustrated that they didn't find a solution last year, last term. Um, Senator Burr, who is obviously very conservative, and we heard from several folks generally kind of pessimistic about things like this. You know, things that he's been in Washington long enough to know things don't get done, I guess. And so he was painted as someone who's generally pessimistic. And when he said, yes, we need a comprehensive solution, I, re- I asked him, I said, well, what's your optimism that something actually happens? Expecting him to say, I have zero faith that anything will happen. And he said, I actually think it could. And he said, I think it could before the 2020 presidential election. Um, you know, time will tell. But uh, to your point, too, I, what does that mean to each person? That's probably different. But I think that we did hear from some of the conservative members even that said, look, are we going to deport 12 million people? No, that's not the solution. So I, I don't think people see this as a, a black and white uh, discussion in terms of it's got to be all one thing or all another. I think they realize there's going to have to be nuance because it's not, even if they could snap their fingers and theoretically deport everybody who's here as an undocumented person, think of the chaos that throws our workforce into our economy, into uh, mixed households that where some people are documented, some people are not. I mean, the chaos that would be caused, even if they could theoretically snap their fingers and do that, is pr- probably not be something that most of them would elect to do. I'm sure a few fringe folks would, but um, so so God only knows what solution they come up with and whether they're actually able to move it through both chambers, um, given divided government and who our president is, but. It was encouraging to hear that everybody acknowledges that there needs to be a solution, that it probably needs to be a compromise, um, and that it needs to it can't be piecemealed. Yeah, the, the other two powerful things beyond that for me, um, more specifically in our de- defined federal legislative agenda, was 5G and 74. And I think everyone, um, everyone realized uh, hearing kind of our delegation speak the power uh, importance of finishing that 74 corridor ranging from Asheville to Charlotte to Wilmington. One, it's a great opportunity and project for a partnership that bridges rural and urban. And two, you know, I visited the port. You, you weren't able to, to make it, but you're going to come with me next time um, on Friday of last week to, to meet with the chamber and port of Wilmington, port of Wilmington. Sorry. Um, and uh, uh, the president of the chamber, our old friend Natalie English, who's down there, used to be here, and the head of the port and others. And just seeing that operation, understanding, you know, the, the over $15 billion in, um, in economic uh, growth and drivers, GDP to the state, come from that port. And we are still lagging behind Charleston, Savannah, Norfolk, other places that come right in there. If we can, one, expand that road so it is truly an interstate that takes two and a half hours to get from Charlotte to Wilmington. Right now, it's over three and a half hours. And then Imagine ultimately, it was two and a half hours. And then ultimately, all the way to all Asheville. All the way to Asheville. I mean, that, that's the time it takes to get to, to Myrtle Beach right now. People don't consider going to 
Wilmington right now on the, in the same way they think about going to Myrtle Beach just because of the time. I, I for one, well, you don't might. think of going to Myrtle Beach. Well, that's because you. This is that's, our, that's Team North Carolina, baby. Yeah, yeah. Wilmington, okay. right? But we do that, and then on top of that, we put 5G infrastructure in place all the way along it, so it becomes the world's first 5G corridor. All right, here's an now assignment we can do autonomous tri- trucking. Here's an assignment for you that I, I know you will not be able to do. Not because you won't be able to explain 5G, but you won't be able to do it in 60 seconds. Mm. Give people the uh, 101 60 second explanation of what 5G is, mm. why we need it in urban areas, why we need it in rural areas, why it's important for the state. I still haven't figured out how to do that yet, so I'll try my best. So, um, 4g fiber, all that stuff, right today, all your phones work with it. And just because you have phones, right. And the bandwidth that increases there, you provide a market for AT&T or Verizon to roll that stuff out as they've done. 5g is a completely different dimension. It's small cell based. And while the bandwidth and speed that your phone will experience is increased, that's not the real value prop here. The real value prop is it becomes a new conduit for the IoT, Internet of Things, and the business world. So if you have an autonomous vehicle company who wants to roll their product out and start in a city. They they can't do it without 5G. You can't can't roll up to a stoplight and then buffer on 4G and, and try to tell the difference between a fire hydrant and a kid. Right, it's got to be 5G. So it enables this new world of connectivity. The power, just so you can understand the power of it, is once that's fully um, deployed, if you today have internet coming in and uh, Direct TV, you can get rid of your router and your dish, and it's just the same increased speed and bandwidth of everything you get on demand streaming TV increases tenfold, and you don't need any hardware. So I, I can't overemphasize the, the game change this is. And I think we heard it from Richard Burr, Senator Best, when he said, that's a big one. And there will be two waves of cities in this, the first wave and the second wave. The first wave is going to be small and those who get creative and figure out how to do it. And the second wave is going to be everybody else. And it's going to be way down the road because we're not scaled in the country to be able to produce the type of hardware we need to do this. But when people are thinking about how 5G could be, how the the network of that could be built in Charlotte and beyond, should they envision something a la Google Fiber where it goes in and, and a certain neighborhood's getting infrastructure built out? Or is this all going to be through the air and it's just a matter of- It's all of through the air, small cell up in the- So this is why- Maybe my theory, why you don't see Google fiber digging up any lawns anymore because they've, they made a big bet. They went that route and 5g just kind of this, this technology really happened fast and came out of nowhere and totally disrupted their market. So these, are these going to be kind of like repeaters that people are putting on light poles and it's, it's spreading the signal that way. Yep. Yep. So why is it important for our rural parts of the state to have it? Well, because the first people out of the gate, the first states, the first regions, the first cities are going to be a small number uh, of, of cities, and they're going to be way ahead of the second, the second wave. So wherever this stuff is, whoever gets it there in place, all of these new 5G economy employers, companies are going to flock to do business there. It becomes this massive economic development engine because there's only one 5G. There's there's only one environment to roll these things out and pilot their new technologies. They'll set up shop 
in some random rural rural town along 74 because that's there. So who has to do the heavy lifting for Charlotte to be on the front wave of having that that so I, network? So far, it's 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 been a small pockets of folks working on it. What I've been working on is, but is it Verizon or is it it's it's is both? It, is it government or it's 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 a three legged stool of government, private sector, and carrier, which AT and T and Verizon are are the primary folks there. There's one other, but. The, the big difference, going back to where I started, is they can't go from 3G to 4G with the infrastructure investment needed in the same way they can go from 4 to 5 because there isn't an entire economy of 800, 900,000 people with cell phones ready to be their clients. It won't be until next year at the earliest that phones are going to be equipped to handle 5G for the most part. And cars, autonomous vehicles, or even smart cars aren't going to be until 2022. So... The problem is they'll go to wherever they can, but they need a business case to justify their investment before everyone has phones and all that market exists. So I've been working with the private sector, banks, different companies around town, different different entities to come up with several use cases that we package as to why we need it. And we become their client through what we need to do already. Smart stoplight technology using IoT-based devices to decrease uh, congestion, things like that, that we have to do anyway, that now AT&T or whoever says, okay, we'll roll it out if you agree to be our client for that. You, you tee up enough customers that they can justify building out the infrastructure. Exactly. Um, so you talked about 74, talked about 5G. I, I really did feel like, and, and even our um, city lobbyist, Dana Fenton, told you and I both afterwards, he said that those were some of the better meetings we've ever had up there. I think it's um, due to the leadership of the committee. Intergovernmental committee. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to argue with that totally theory. Um, so that was a good trip. Um, anything else before we get into last night's rezoning meeting? Yeah. I mean, do you want to talk uh, what, what have been the takeaways from the, uh, your, your uh, party had a, a convention. We My, did. Mine's having one this coming we weekend. We reelected uh, Chris Turner as the chair. Great hard fought battle between Chris Turner and, and John Powell and their uh, respective uh, teams. And, and these are, are, I know both those guys, I, I think they're both good guys. Uh, there was a strange story in the Observer today about that. Mm. And, it, and, and it did admit that kind of every side of that uh, two-person election for y'all's chair admitted that this was not a particularly close election, so this probably didn't sway it. But some um, former employer of the chair, uh, Chris Turner, Offered twenty five thousand dollars to the party if uh, Chris was reelected as chair, like before the vote was taken. So yeah, th- so there's two sides to this one. I think the folks who were in the John Powell camp, and maybe some others, just kind of also just from a feel perspective, looked at this and said, "Well, is that like a is that like a you know bribe is far too strong of a word, but like you've attached strings. Why wouldn't you give that anyway?" Um, and it's only happens if we vote for your guy, but then the other side look at it and say, well, it's all above board. It's completely ethical. And he's not just saying I'm betting on the GOP. He's making a bet on Chris Turner. So, um, you know, it's not the cleanest of things. It probably didn't warrant a story, but I think if anyone has concerns that there's ethical problems with it, no, I don't there think, is not, I don't think any rules are broken. It would, it would just seemed odd. Yeah. Um, but you know, I hope, I hope somebody makes Writes a check for twenty five thousand dollars to our party. Exactly. um, That I just. What about uh, strange? What about your? uh, You've had some immigration committee meetings and uh, public forums. Yes, we have. So we've talked. I think maybe on the episode two weeks ago about how Mayor Lyles had created this uh, immigration committee. 
uh, working on some of the issues in our immigrant community uh, with all that had been going on last month. And so we have now had several of our sessions, and I do want to plug – because we want community members, both people who are immigrants themselves, people who are advocates, um, or just anybody with an opinion or a perspective, we want folks to join us. And so we've had three of these now. They've gone very well. And um, if you're listening to this episode right after we put it out, today is Tuesday, March 19th. We've got one tonight. We've in- we intentionally decided to have one in each city council district uh, to better engage the different council members. But to make sure that we weren't missing, we didn't have any blind spots in terms of the perspectives we were getting. And so while people obviously think oftentimes of like the Central Avenue Albemarle Road corridor or South Boulevard corridor as some of our heavily um, immigrant populated areas, and they are, you also have to think about things like in District 7 where we held one this past Saturday, there is a large Indian American population. So when we talk about immigrant issues, we are not just talking about the Latino, the Hispanic community, though a lot of what had been going on with federal immigration stuff is most uh, acutely impacting them. We want to get perspectives from everybody. And so I was glad on Saturday that we had people from the Indian American community, um, folks uh, from the African community. And so we're getting a nice are you kind getting, of broad spectrum of representation. Are you there. getting folks from the other side of this debate that – not um, yet. Okay. Um, not yet. Not like a crazy like fringe of it, but I mean the the more pragmatic other side, which is I understand the challenges, but I also understand yeah. that that's the law of the well, land, and and something has to has to be fixed. It needs to be fixed at a federal level. So the three meetings we've had, we had one that was specifically around uh, immigrant-owned businesses and the city services that they can utilize, and then since then we've had two more broadly for the the community. One was held in District 5, one was held in District 7. And so Councilmember Driggs was at the one in his district in District 7 on Saturday, and he did uh, bring up some of those things. He said, look, I'm, I'm sympathetic to this. He mentioned, as he has done in a council meeting, that his wife is an immigrant. She is a naturalized citizen. And um, so he said I'm, he said he was sympathetic to these issues. He, he did, I think, genuinely convey compassion on it. And he said, but I also don't think the city should be – um, usurping federal authority, or, or mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how he said it. So I mean, I you know he presented a different side. He got some pushback from folks in the in the crowd, but I think it was a respectful debate, a respectful dialogue. Uh, I saw he and the person who kind of challenged him on his viewpoint talking um, very professionally after the event. So I I think those are the kind of conversations we need to have, and I won't tolerate somebody coming in and um, you know trying to be a, a, a bomb thrower and and sabotage these meetings. But, um, I do think that, that some of that dialogue is healthy. I'm sure Ed learned something from that conversation. I'm sure, um, Jorge, the gentleman that he was talking to learned something from that conversation. So, you know, I think that kind of discussion and, and dialogue is healthy. I'd like to have in, the one that's coming in my district. What's the day? It's next Thursday. March 26th, day? which is a week from today. It's Tuesday. So quick it's rundown. Tuesday. Um, District 2 is tonight, Tuesday, March 19th. That'll be at Johnson C. Smith from 6 to 8. On Thursday of this week, uh, we will be in District 3 from 8 to 10 p.m. at Our Lady of Guadalupe Catholic Church on Tuckasegee Road. On your district is Tuesday, March 26th at the Harris YMCA from 6 to 8 p.m. on Quail Hollow Road. March 28th, which is next Thursday, we will be in District 4, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Camino Community Center. And then... 
Saturday, March 30th in my district, District 1, from 9 to 11 a.m. at R Bridge for Kids on Willard Farrow Drive. So what I'd like to do for mine is um, call call out to the community to, to really have, you know, both sides of – because I hear both sides all the time, like in, in the, 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 the parts of town I'm in and in, in the parts of town I travel to, you know, the side of – of the actual immigrant themselves and what they're going through and what a terrible situation this is, but also the folks that may be a little disconnected from it, but also take that law of the land. It's not in our wheelhouse type approach, but we have to be cognizant of it, figure out how to do something to kind of mitigate the, the, the impact that's happening in the near term while pushing on Congress to get the job done and solve this once and for all. I would love to have both of those groups together, not the bomb throwers, not folks that are going to disrupt the meeting, folks who really want to have that conversation and actually have a dialogue. Because I think based on all the sides of this conversation I get to see that the side of folks who are on the the a little bit disconnected from and are concerned are going to learn things when they hear these stories and they hear the challenges, but also vice versa. The other side may understand some of the perspective. It's about understanding each other's perspectives. So in some way we can have a unified front to solve this thing once and for all. So I, I a call to action to the community. If you're on the other side that really hasn't shown up at these to date, I'd love to have you respectfully there to learn, listen, and also relay your perspective. And if you want to show your ass, I'd love for you to stay home. <laughs> Agreed. But this I know, I think, that. I think you're right. I think that we've got to have, uh, we've got to, it's, it's, it's got to be dialogue. It's got to be a two-way street. And I think that we stand to learn from having dialogue with people we disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do hope people will come out and seeking to learn and seeking to better understand on both sides yeah. of, um, of, uh, and I don't even like saying both sides. I mean, I, I think people, well, there are two sides. There are, to this. but I, but I, mean, I there, there are hundreds I, of sides. Well, but there are two distinct. sides. That's the thing. I, but I feel like when you say both sides, I feel like it makes it sound so binary, and it's not binary. It's, I think the, I think most people probably have compassion on this issue, and it's, like I said, it's the way Ed kind of framed it, and so I, saying both sides almost you, makes it okay, sound like yeah, you're either for yeah, right, or look, you're against. If you remove anyone without compassion. Right. Take those folks off the table for right now. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. But I'm just saying for this argument, the two sides the, of that most gravitate towards it are those who. It, so everyone has compassion. Everyone realizes it's a problem. One side is kind of like just just stop. Just just change all the laws of the land. Make this the, where we are right now and done. And the other side is let's solve it. But we. You know, there are laws for a reason and we need to adjust them and make sure that coming to this country and going through that process is something that is not easy. It's hard and you respect hard things. And once you're here, you have a great amount of respect for the institution you're part of. I think that's the center right perspective. I think there's a center left perspective you left out. But I mean, clearly there are people who are just like, and again, this is the, the sad thing is this is generally the two sides you're going to hear on Facebook, there is a, there is a not so center, right. That's like deport everybody go ice. I mean, so that's, I don't know. It's, it's more complicated than just yeah. being for no, it or against right. it. Right. And, I mean, I, I, and I, and I probably haven't thought through the two sided argument. As soon as I listen to this back, I'm going to be like, uh, that probably wasn't that great, but mm. point taken. Anyway, um, go through last night real I, quick. I do hope people will come out to those cause it's important work. And, and I said when the committee got created and I'm, feeling 
confident that, that this will be backed up now that we've we've gotten into this work. There will be things that come out of this. I already have some ideas. We've already started to brainstorm uh, what some of these things are going to be based on the feedback we're getting from the community in these first sessions. There will be action items for the council to take in April, in May, very quickly upon the completion of this committee's work. And, uh, and I'm, I'm very glad of that because I was, uh, that was my main concern as we went into this was that we had action items that we can make policy changes that are within our wheelhouse and that will help the community. Um, but being true to, to what our scope of work is. And so I, I think, and, and I'm feeling good as I discuss those with folks in the immigrant community that they genuinely think those are going to be helpful. And so, um, I'm, I'm encouraged and the more voices we have at the table, the, the better outcomes we'll have. Last night we had a rezoning meeting and it was a marathon primarily, well, largely because our first two rezonings took an hour each. Mm. One of them was not what people will generally think of when we talk about rezonings. One of them was the transportation oriented development uh, ordinance, which is a kind of a large chunk of what will ultimately be the, the unified development ordinance we've talked about two, three years down the road from now, this is talking about uh, specifically areas within a certain distance of our transit corridor, meaning mostly meaning our blue line right now. And, but then also looking at future lines like the silver line and what we want that to look like. We know we want more density there. We know we want more height there. Um, but we also built in a system where developers can seek more height uh, through a, um, what would you call it? An incentive system bonus bonus system that either has them contributing to some of our environmental efforts or in some of our affordable housing efforts. There's all sorts of different ways they can essentially score points that can be traded in for height and, um, along transit corridors. And so this was, I felt good. It, it, it went off the rails. It got hijacked by Somehow this this that was so irritating. This narrative I gotta got created. Say, like it was just so. We had irritating two or three folks from the like development that. community that, that emailed and literally led the email with, "Hey, we really think a lot of good work's been done here. We think this has come a long way. We're very happy about it. We wish it had, you know, X Y Z also included in we it. We wish it had. Like, and it wasn't even X Y Z. It was just like even one if thing. I summarize it to the, in my opinion, the worst way I'd say what they were asking for, I would say. It's great. We love it. It's going to turn us more to a planning versus a deal-making city. But there are going to be cases, specific exceptions, where today it's 90% exception, 10% rules and planning, um, where maybe the 10 or 5% or less are things where we need an end around. We need a way that they're not willing to do this, but you may lose the next avid exchange or lending tree major um, opportunity because we don't have the tool in the toolbox to allow for that. And Somehow that turned into yeah. people. Everyone came City out of the council's going to change it all. To change it, and you know what's so what, what irritates me the most about that is I wasn't necessarily comfortable with the end around. I was hoping to find another way to build that flexibility into a standard process. But what they didn't realize, and I made this point last night, is the same exact argument exists for the citizens, and the citizens just haven't figured this out yet because they're not organized themselves in the neighborhood association kind of format enough to realize what might be coming in this. And those same people last night that were there to petition against us for density or height or all the things so we could be their voice and their last chance to vote for or against it, depending on what they wanted, that no longer exists. So when you take the deal-making end-around ability out for the developers, 
You're also taking that out for the community. And when the community figures this out, and usually the community doesn't figure it out until something drops in their backyard that they hate. And they're like, oh, that was what you meant when you changed the thing. And now I don't, I, I, I don't even have the city. I can't go to the city council to change it. Well, that's the reality of it. But the, the most irritating part is we weren't even considering that. We weren't. It, it, and again, I mean, people ask us for stuff all the time. Um, that doesn't mean they get it. And so there'd been no serious discussion among council to make changes to the ordinance. Um, there had been questions raised that said, explain why we went, why we did one thing, not another. Um, there'd been some clarifying conversations, but there'd been no discussion around actually changing anything. And there was a big misconception that we were voting on it last night. It was actually just the hearing where the public could comment on it. And many people came and did, um, we'll vote on it next month. And I'm 98% confident that we will unanimously adopt it as is written. So for, for anybody who was concerned, and we got a lot of emails. I don't know. I might go the other way now well, just, uh, just, it, because, just because of the uprising. All right. How about I'm 98% sure it will pass as is. <laughs> I'm 95% sure it'll be unanimous. I mean, it, our staff has put in a lot of work on this. The community groups, both developer and kind of neighborhood leaders, have been engaged in this process. There have been a ton of voices at the table who put a ton of work in. This is a really good policy. It's going to improve the process of zoning in our city it's going to improve the process of of land use um and we will it's you know it's a living breathing document we will be able to improve it as we learn from uh, the cases that come through it to inform what ultimately goes into the udo but people thought we were voting last night we weren't we'll do that next month we got a lot of emails saying don't make these changes that you're proposing or that have been proposed there was never any discussion of making any changes. It advanced from the hearing as is. It will be voted on as is. Why don't they come like, do they call you? They never call me. Why, why don't they call one of us and like ask before they activate the community? Well, I, I, I did get one text from someone who I quickly said, no, it's being heard as is. It will be adopted as is. Nothing's changed. Do they not trust? Well, I know they don't trust me. Do they not trust you? <laughs> well, at, at that point. Point. And who's the leaky ship here, like the leaky part of the ship who's not just spreading information, but spreading false information as to Well, anybody's free to risk. spread information, <laughs> but we'd well, yeah, we'd prefer that it be yeah. good information um, or correct information is what I mean. Super irritating. But yes, yeah, so if somebody clearly created that narrative i genuinely have no idea who it was the problem was that by the time we kind of clarified it was a real request we just weren't going to do it we just weren't entertaining it, it. <laughs> yeah. um by the time like braxton and i talk, started talking to some people and saying hey like this is a false alarm uh it had already been retweeted by brie newsom among others who has like two hundred thousand twitter followers <laughs> and uh for anybody who doesn't know brie newsom's the one who climbed the south carolina flagpole took down the Confederate flag. She's a badass. She has a ton of Twitter followers, but that got retweeted because it was posted by a relatively credible source that like there was this proposal, we were entertaining it. And so then it, there was no putting the, the genie back in the lamp yeah. on that one. But um, anyhow, we didn't vote on it, but that took an hour. And then what was the second one that took an hour? So I, I had a big one that got deferred last night, but then... Oh, that <laughs> seems like so long ago. I know it's exhausting. Well, all I know is this: Greg <laughs> Phipps has a lot. I sang a, uh, the song we wrote for him this week to him last night because he's got all these controversial rezonings. Let me sing it. It's hard out here for Phipps. Got the popcorn and truckers making trips, and uh, <laughs> you forgot what was it. it? Uh, <laughs> oh, what was it? Something about the, the interstate. Yeah, it's uh, 
Uh, Something about truckers on the interstate. Truckers on the interstate, and then you figured, you came up with the last line. Hey, he man. says, "Hey man, these are things I hate." We got to come up with that. That's our song. Um, I finally, now that you have butchered your own song, Tom found our agenda. For, oh, one other thing I'll mention: the Reginald Hawkins House we designated as a landmark last night, civil rights icon in Charlotte. Uh, so was excited about that. Uh, we saw some folks that for valid individual reasons or were a great example of we had great affordable housing, great senior <laughs> housing projects. You just said it. And other folks, uh, Laurel said, street. It was Laurel yeah, street oh, in yeah. Greg's district. Don't, 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 um, <laughs> not don't, in my not backyard. In my backyard. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's literally twice, twice last night. We had, uh, we had affordable housing. Yeah. NIMBYs. And you can't, you cannot I'll put the second group on blast. Too. Did you like that? Yeah. But, but the, the point is this, this is the nature of it. You can't fault either side. You can't fault the side that wants to do good oh, and do oh, affordable housing. I can fault one of the sides. You cannot, because when it's in your own backyard, it changes. Bring it. Every, oh, you're saying that, but when it's, I'm just telling you, Come man, look at everyone, what's everyone says exactly what you say until it's in their own backyard. We had people that Literally kept the one, saying, I've been out there championing affordable housing. I agree, but this one's different. No. Put it somewhere else. I can actually back this up now because the, the hearing that got deferred last night is a Central Avenue hearing that is at the end of my street. And the reason that I've got a lot of neighbors that are concerned about it and we're trying to work with CDOT to come up with some solutions is parking. They said this is going to cause a lot of the people who go to Resident Culture Brewing, among a couple of other places, but Resident Culture is the really popular place right along that corridor. This will take away their overflow parking that they've had, not because it's theirs, but because they've just had a lease agreement to use this empty lot. That empty lot goes away, and now Resident Culture Brewing customers will park on these streets. They already park in front of my house. This is going to literally make parking on my street worse. But I've said, as a principle, I believe in lowering parking minimums. I believe in us moving as a city away from cars. And I think that walkable, dense urban neighborhoods are the direction that we should be headed. So I've said, I'm not going to change my principles on that because it makes parking on my street tougher. And so I'm fine with this. Now, I've got neighbors who have asked that we at least try to entertain some solutions around is there a possibility to do nighttime parking on Central Avenue, for instance, um, on that stretch of Central Avenue that would offset some of the loss of parking at this at this rezone site. Um, all, I've got six houses and eight townhouses being built next to my home right now where there used to be one house and one duplex. So I'm, I'm not... I'm able to walk the walk now as opposed to just saying that I believe in stuff in principle because I'm not fighting things I could be fighting because they're principally things I believe in even when at surface level or at a first glance it looks like it's something I wouldn't want as a neighbor. So, no, bring affordable housing over to Central Avenue to Plaza Midwood. Unfortunately, we've missed the boat on a lot of it because we've let a lot of the naturally occurring affordable housing go away in those areas. Uh We've now got policies to try to prevent that as much as possible. But uh, you know what? So we had one in, in – uh, actually, they were both in Greg's district, and but in totally different parts of Greg's yep. district. One was Mallard Creek Church Road and Prosperity Church Road. For longtime listeners, um, the the first one – what's the name of the company? Laurel Street. Laurel Street. Uh, as I was listening to it, I was getting flashbacks, you'll remember, a year ago about um, the Nolly Court. Court. Uh, rezoning I had in my district. Same setup, same thing. In the end, my, my advice to everyone in that deal is this thing's probably going to pass and um, everyone's going to be dragged along. But the key is you have a month to get um, a negotiated set of 
fair, good faith concessions. And whoever, if, if uh, the way I dealt with it was, I'm going to watch both sides and see who is operating in good faith. And if someone does not operate in good faith through that period to do the best they can, I'm going to go the other way. So here's the, here's the bullet points on these two, um, both in Greg Phipps district. One was the Mallard Creek and prosperity church road intersection area, 3.3 acres, uh, for I think up to 90 units. These were senior units. So obviously the traffic impacts are lower. The parking impacts are lower. Um, and then, but, but the big thing there was staff is currently not supporting this petition. Uh, solely based on its density. The other was Charlotte Mecklenburg housing partnership in, um, in, uh, not to be redundant, but in a partnership with Mayfield Memorial Baptist church on sugar Creek road in the hidden Valley community, which is right across the street from my district. So total other end of Greg's district. Um, and it's for four and a half acres, Sugar Creek Road near Muncie and Yuma. And so that's an area where the church owns some land, and they have decided that they want to use that land uh, to benefit the community. This one, staff does support, and we had a huge contingent of folks from Mayfield Memorial at the meeting last night supporting it, but we had three spe- three people speaking against it. And the reason that I, I kind of got impassioned and kind of put those folks on blast was they're perpetuating these, these tired stereotypes of low income people equal criminals. And that these, you know, it's as if it's going to lower the property value and increase the crime. And, and one comment that really set me off was something about these folks are, are trying to line their pockets as if all these, uh, as if all these parishioners from Mayfield Memorial Baptist church were somehow in on this and getting a cut out of this land deal. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you have to. That may not be the correct narrative of how this works, but you have to cut them some. It's not. It may the, not be. It's for, not. But these folks have put twenty and thirty years into the Hidden Valley community. I mean, they they've seen firsthand what it was twenty and thirty years ago to what it is now. And I mean, it. You can't fault them for for being passionate about. Hey, man, isn't it somebody else's turn? But. but but at the same time, you know, it's just, it's very difficult. Like, I'd be I, interested I to know it. how much they had attempted to engage with the church leading up to this. Because yeah. um, it's just, I mean. F- All I know is this. Greg Phipps has an interesting summer coming up here. <laughs> it's hard out here for a Phipps. I remember it now. Yeah. Got the I, popcorn and truckers making trips. <laughs> and parking all along the interstate. They say, hey, man, these are things I hate. Things I hate. Yes. Um, sorry, Phipps. Good luck to you, buddy. Yeah, so those should be fun. I my, I feel nearly certain the Mayfield Memorial Baptist Church project will um, that will pass. the The one out on uh, Mallard Creek Church and Prosperity Church that was going to be a little tougher because it's without the staff support. It'll be interesting to see what the zoning committee says. There weren't. Um, those were definitely the two big ones that we spent a lot of time on. I had a big controversial one in my district, but with all the uprising of the neighbors that had occurred and some challenges they had solved, I was not very supportive Is that of your it. Verde Homes? Uh, yeah. They, um, so Verde Homes is actually the one building uh, the six homes and the eight townhouses right next to my house right now. Oh. So I got I got contacts if you need I'll to. I'll call uh, them, yeah. Tell them to add some density around so, you. Anytime, well, no, anytime. So got, the, mine got, mine got. Anytime the guys are trashing, uh, trashing my street or their stuff blowing over into my yard, I just call. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need y'all to clean that up. 
All right, man. They're irritated with me. We did it. I bet. Um, So segment 2A and 2B, uh, we're going to flash back to D.C., and the first part is going to be uh, with Clarence Anthony. Clarence Anthony is the CEO of the National League of Cities. He is also a former mayor himself back a decade or so ago. He was the president of the National League of Cities as an elected official. Uh, Then when he stepped down from office, he took on the role as – the CEO. And then we are also with Karen Freeman Wilson, the mayor of Gary, Indiana. She is the current president. Uh, and fun fact, our colleague James Smudgy Mitchell is a former president of this organization and pretty much a celebrity anytime we go to one of these mm-hmm. conferences. But um, so Karen Freeman Wilson will be joining us. The two of them, we were in the car headed from one uh, National League of Cities event to another. These next you two interviews are, are, pretty, are pretty loose, but we wanted to bring you into these were done the in the, random These were done in the evening. Yeah, done in the evening. Um, you know, we're just kind of letting, letting our audience join us uh, for a car ride or at a uh, at a reception. And, uh, and Karen Freeman Wilson, I'll mention too, not only current mayor of Gary, Indiana and president of this organization, she's a former Indiana attorney, like the Indiana attorney general, uh, as well as a former judge in Indiana. So uh, really interesting interview with the both of them. And then we have made a new friend in Colorado, uh, a fellow elected official from a town council out in Colorado who's going to tell us about what they've got going on out there. Uh, he was at the youth delegate event with us for the young elected officials and uh, was a good guy. So we uh, look forward to talking to you all next week. Hope you enjoy these two interviews. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. All right now. Welcome to the show, my friend Clarence. First off. I'm going to introduce you. You are the CEO of the National League of Cities, correct? I am the CEO of the National League of Cities, and it's the organization and the voice uh, that represents cities, uh, towns, and villages all over America. So first question, uh, did you just start this year saying villages? Because I don't remember hearing that before. Well, you know, we have a consistent brand, and we try to include cities, whether they are cities the size of New York, uh, South Bay, Florida, Charlotte. that is five. <laughs> I'm getting to Charlotte, North so, so Carolina. So talk to us right now about, here's my question, then I'll have Larkin ask our other distinguished guest who's in the vehicle with us right now. Here's my question to you. How do you balance, as the CEO of this organization, the rural versus the urban needs? I mean, it's we in Charlotte and in North Carolina, we feel the difference with our state legislature between rural, urban, and the divide that exists. How do you handle that? Well, first of all, uh, city leaders, village leaders, town leaders are leaders and they have been elected by their citizens. And uh, the issues are the same, but they're just magnified. So you can uh, look at the city of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, or look at the city of Aiken. And um, what you're going to see is that they may have housing issues. One uh, focus may be on quality of housing. The other Charlotte may be on affordability yeah. of housing, but the still the issue is still housing and city leaders, no matter no matter what the size of the city, what they want is to come to National League of Cities and come for solutions and to learn from each other. And that is the magic of the National League of Cities. And that is why you are here. And that is why the mayor is here. That is why all of you leaders are here. And I'm just so 
uh, honored to be able to talk with you guys about what is the value and the member benefit of the National League of Cities. We interviewed just earlier tonight at that reception a council member from a small town outside of D.C., and we had the exact same conversation. The issues are the same. It's just the magnitude that changes. Uh, in in the car right now as well, we have Madam President. We have Ms. Mm, Karen Madam President. Freeman Wilson, who I knew already, obviously, was the mayor of Gary, Indiana. I didn't realize how much of a badass Madam President was. Though. I mean, it's pretty impressive, no so, doubt. So double Double Harvard grad. Indiana Attorney General, you have been a judge. There's not a lot you haven't done yet. So uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And also, we'll start with, in 10 words, describe your predecessor uh, a couple of terms back, our colleague, James Mitchell. James Smudgy Mitchell. You've got, in 10 words, how would you describe Smudgy? (laughs) And then tell us a little bit about what your goals are for this term. You talked today a lot about infrastructure, which is big Mm. in Charlotte. Tell us what you'd like to accomplish. Here's what I'd tell you about Smudgy. And, um, you know, we love James Mitchell at NLC. Class, brass, and he is smooth, smooth. He's a smooth operator. But you know what? He provides so much wisdom, so much advice, so much uh, mentoring for younger elected officials i am just honored to know him and to serve with him on the board because he still is that voice of wisdom for all of us um so you know i'm honored to serve as president this year i could not think of a better ceo and uh board staff uh staff and an all-around handsome man yeah yeah i mean you know um it it makes they make us look like we know what we're doing that's all i have to say so what's your goal for the year what's your goal for your term what are you going to accomplish what are you going to leave behind so my goal is to make sure that everyone knows how much elected officials love their cities and how much we want our citizens to love their cities it's one thing to uh, call the mayor's office or call the council member's office and say I need a garbage can or I need potholes filled but it's another thing to call and say I want to help make my city better because I love Charlotte I love Gary Indiana I love South Bay Florida I love Elkhart Indiana I love my city and um, and that's what my mission is this year. That and to come up with a concrete plan for dealing with housing issues that can be scaled up or down, that can be used in small cities like Lexington, South Carolina, where our second vice president is from, Kathy Maness, or that can be used in Los Angeles, California, where our first vice president Joe Buscaino is from, or that can be used in Gary, Indiana, where I'm from. There are housing issues, as Clarence said earlier, that impact all of us, and we want to compile best practices and technical assistance so that our members can serve the citizens that look up to them and trust them. So before we end this segment, since we're getting close to our destination, I think, you you just touched on him and mentioned him. We, We have... Just we've got like an inside joke running Joey about Boos. Joey Boose. Joey Boose last year because last at the year. breakfast last year, uh, he he told Mayor Garcetti when he announced for president he was going to have the Joey Boose 
stamp of approval endorsement. Joey Bruce endorsement. Which we don't know what kind of bump that would have we given Mayor Garcetti, but <laughs> but Joey but, but Joey Boos felt like it was going to be the like Joey the, Boos. the deal sealer. Yeah. Tell us one funny story about Joey Boos, who I presume will be your your successor as president. Who's got one funny story about Joey Boos? Never one hair out of place. I'll leave it at that. That is true. Wonderful, wonderful. But let me let me ask you guys something. Oh, you got to turn the interview. Yeah, I think what is I think what's inspiring to me is being able to understand what is the big issue facing Charlotte that drove you to run for office, being such a young, inspiring. Person I now see how community. this guy is. Well, so, flattery will strong. get you everywhere. Flattery, like, this is so <laughs> tell me, because I'm so impressed with you guys yes. and what you're doing. So what what was it that well, drove you? There's a lot of things. I'll start and I'll let Larkin finish, then we'll close this, that this seems segment to be out. the trend here, that but you start and Larkin it's, 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 is that well, is no I, I have to clean up his mess. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. My gut reaction is, I you know, I think that, and we just... This is apropos here because we just left NLC's uh, young young leaders uh, uh, event here tonight on Monday night. Right, sponsored by ARP. <laughs> That's strange. Um, but um, you know, when you look at the baby boomers, they activated when their median age hit thirty as a generation. The millennials are just about to hit 30 and activate as a generation. It may not happen at the same time, but I, I think I can speak for Larkin when I say... You can't. Ever. I can't. I, I, I always can't. Say. I don't ever but allow that. It's time for the, the, the new generation of leaders to step up and start serving, right. and it's going to start occurring slowly, and then it's going to happen all at once, and we have to build a bench of knowledge. We have to do that, and it's not just by us serving and being role models. It's by doing the podcast like we do now, where every single week after Monday nights, we sit down at 11, 12 o'clock at night sometimes on Mondays, and we walk through what we think the biggest ticket items were in layman's terms and explain them so our colleagues can understand what we're doing. Mm. And that is one big reason why I serve. I won't speak for Larkin, but I will. And I'll say that that's exactly what he's talking about. Larkin, final words. I, I hope he meant our constituents can understand them. I hope our colleagues don't have to listen to the podcast to understand what he's talking <laughs> Good about. Good point. Though sometimes <laughs> that might Larkin. be the case. That's why you're cleaning it. <laughs> yeah, he's the cleanup man. You know? I know. That's it. But I will say, uh, you know, Charlotte is not only one of the fastest growing cities in the country, but it is one of the, it is like the top millennial magnet yeah, in the country one. so the fact really? that in 2015's wow. election there was no one under the age of 40 elected to charlotte city council yep. and in 2017 six out of the 11 of us were elected under the age of 40 i, I think that. is is very indicative of where charlotte is going we are a young city we are a young talent magnet and we need to have those voices at the table and so in the way that we would never want a council to be all white all black all male all female all straight, all LGBT, it shouldn't be all of one age either. Diversity is, part of diversity is a diversity of age and a diversity of perspective in generations. And some Republicans, you know, so mix them in there, right, Larkin? We still allow two Republicans to join us. <laughs> so, at the thank meeting. you, I'm one of those two. So the question, the question that is, uh, that most of your leaders, uh, listeners are probably asking themselves is... How did they get these distinguished people to talk to them? <laughs> yeah, one, one, but the second is given your lack of uh, probably experience in public policy and the rush to the top, what, what 
what do you think people mm. think about that? Damn. Did you not wait for your turn? This guy's deep, uh, to, huh? Uh, <laughs> to uh, uh, to get there to the top. All this of guy's a sudden, CEO for all a reason. Sudden, but here's the thing: all of a sudden, you you're now you think I it's should. You know, why 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 didn't you wait your turn? Here's the thing: mm. as as our generation, and I said this is PG thirteen. Our generation would say f that because <laughs> everybody everybody whether. No matter what it was about them, whether they were too young or they were a woman or they were a person of color, hey, you know what? Why don't you why don't you stay back there in the background and wait your turn? Mm-hmm. F that. Because <laughs> first of all, the people that were elected to this council by and large have been involved in local efforts for a decade. Yeah. Tark and I both They've had been served on time. city advisory boards, had served on nonprofit boards. Everybody that got elected with us has served their community for a long time before they ran for office. We didn't wake up one day and decide to do it. So we've been building that foundation. We've been building that resume. And and this is the culmination. You just fired him up, man. Well, let me just tell you. Yeah, close us out. Charlotte, (laughs) you are so lucky to have two leaders that are inspirational. Me and James Mitchell. And and that's committed. (laughs) Your mayor of I... Yeah, Jane, all of your, really your leaders. Brian James. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I ain't mentioned y'all yet. But uh, <laughs> I'm just honored to be a part yeah. of your life. And I just know you're going to do great things. And I think we should figure out a way to put this on the main stage of oh. National League of Cities. Yes, And no. have this same conversation. We're, we're do not change tomorrow. it. Live podcast. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you guys so much for joining us. This was quite an honor. Thank you, Thank you all. Us. We'll talk to you next time on Main Stage. All right, welcome back to the show. We've got Kyle Schlachter, council member from Littleton, Colorado. He's going to finish chewing his food right now, but we've had a nice conversation with him tonight. Larkin, what's your first question for Kyle? So Kyle's from a suburb of Denver, one of my favorite cities in the country, and we're just talking about how Colorado, like North Carolina, is a relatively purple state. And he was telling us that a couple of the Colorado who's who in the political world are running for president. Who you guys got representing your state in this uh, wild, wild presidential primary? We got former Governor John Hickok, who just announced last week, and everyone's expecting our um, Senator um, Michael Bennett to announce coming up here. He's doing an exploratory committee, so he's he's looking at that. Now, related, we are all here together at the National League of Cities conference in D.C. John Hickenlooper, before he was governor of Colorado, was mayor of Denver. It's interesting. Uh, I don't, historically, I don't know how much precedent there is for this, but I feel like there is a upswell of former mayors that are now running for president. We've got Julian Castro, former mayor of San Antonio, uh, Paul Buttigieg, whose name I can't pronounce well, um, former uh, former mayor Hickenlooper. So it's, what do you think about the experience of being a municipal elected official? How do you think that translates to running for president? I think it provides a, a unique perspective, uh, brings something to Washington to say how to get things done there, where you know when he was governor, he had split um, uh, General Assembly there, so he had a, a Democratic House and a Republican Senate. So, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to get stuff done when it's like that. So, we were also talking a minute ago about kind of Colorado's unique state approach being uh, uh, both medicinal and recreational marijuana approval, but also that municipalities can decide 
and your municipality decided not to allow for it, but you're right outside of Denver which, and, and many others that obviously do. You know, given, I don't know, it's been a little bit now, the experience you guys have had with it being um, legalized in different forms or not, depending on where you are, like what's your, what's, your, what's your overview for a state like North Carolina, a city like Charlotte, who literally that isn't, haven't been on the radar yet? What are the pros and cons of that? Well, I think having local control is real important. Let the local communities decide what's best for them and figure out what works and what doesn't work and, and react to it that way. Do you guys think that you'll continue in your municipality not allowing it, but others around you? Like, I mean, you lose out on the revenue, but I get, what, what do you gain from not, from not doing it, not allowing it? Well, when those uh, dispensaries aren't in the community, you don't have those businesses come in there. Um, any of the crime that may be associated with that, you know, we've heard stories. Is that a problem? I've heard stories of the problem. I don't see it personally as a big problem. Um, but the fact that it is a all-cash business, uh, there's lots of uh, cash sitting at those businesses, so it can be. I like the go- uh, Personally, I like the, gov- the government closest to the people is the most effective. And so I, I'm actually hoping we've got some stuff going on, and I would say it's fairly similar. There's a bill going on in our state legislature right now to modify our alcohol system in the history of North Carolina, a lot of the decisions that have been made by the state on how alcohol is distributed and sold to consumers has been that the state will allow that local control so towns that want to stay dry can stay dry. If you don't want to serve early on Sundays, you don't have to. But if you're Charlotte or you're Raleigh, you can. Uh, so I hope that the approach that's been taken with what y'all have got going on in Colorado will be the approach we continue to take with our alcohol laws in North Carolina. So we appreciate you being on the show. Any final words of wisdom from Colorado to Charlotte? And I'll let Larkin have the uh, also final word. Or would you like to announce that you're going to be the third Colorado elected official running for president? Yeah, either of those two questions. What do you got? Uh, I'm not ready to announce that right now. Are you? <laughs> but but maybe like later. When the time is right. When the time is right. Final, final words of wisdom from Colorado and what you guys do and your approach to Charlotte, North Carolina. Just have fun. Just have fun. That's a great word. That's like, That should be the motto of Colorado. Just have fun. Colorado. Welcome to it. Thanks for being on the show, bud. Thank you.